0: I'll be reading from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. And that's the word on which today's teaching is based. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, <clears throat> to the very end of the age. And this is God's Word. I want to welcome everybody here on our uh, the first of our Vision Sunday services. We're going to be doing this once a year to give everybody an opportunity to understand and hear uh, and to raise questions. And so even during the course of this uh, service, uh, during this sermon, during all the presentations, you do have an opportunity to ask questions by basically texting your question. The instructions are printed actually in the back of the bulletin. 24587 is the address. You type the word Metro in the text box, and then space and then your question, and we'll certainly get back to you either through email, online, through social media, in some way, shape, or form, we do intend to answer uh, most of all of your questions. So please take a moment uh, and uh, fill out the survey. Uh, ask questions as we go. We do want it to be somewhat interactive as we proceed. Now, this account is the last event in Jesus' physical ministry on earth, the Great Commission. The Great Commission is Jesus' own interpretation of the resurrection. Basically, what he's saying through the Great Commission is, this is why I die. This is why I rose again. Why? So that the resurrection will have an effect, so that it will shape you. A Christian, as a result, must build themselves around a culture of change, a culture of transformation. The Great Commission is the key to transformation and renewal, not just for the individual, but for a city and for the entire world. We're going to go through, in very, very quick fashion today, four very quick points. The resurrection assures us of courage, intimacy, community, and victory. Courage, intimacy, community, and victory. First, the resurrection assures us of courage. Verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The book of Philippians says that God exalted Jesus to the highest place. The book of Romans says that Jesus is now at the right hand of the throne of God. That The right hand of the throne of God, of a king, is a position of royal power, a position of rule, but it's also because you're at the right hand of the king, it's a seat of favor where divine power would be interceded for. The king would listen to the man at his right hand. And so the Apostles' Creed says, if you've ever recited the Apostles' Creed, that Jesus rose again from the dead... He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. In other words, Jesus is at the right hand, that position of power, of rule, and a position of favor. You see, the Apostles' Creed says that he's also seated. The high priest, when he's doing his sacrificial duty, he's doing his work, he always stood because the work would never be finished. But Jesus Christ on the cross says what on the cross? It's finished. And so he's a king. He's got ultimate power, but he's also a high priest. And he's always interceding for his people. He's always advocating for his church. And so, because he's obedient, he's a just king. Because he suffered, he's a humble king. Because he died, he's a loving king. Because he rose again, he's a redeeming king. Because he rules and sits at the right hand of God, he's a glorious king. And because it was all part of his design, he's a wise king. You know what that means? You can go to him. You can go to him no matter what, no matter what you've been to, because he's, he understands. There are people in this room right now, they're uncertain about the next day. They're uncertain right now about their future. They're afraid of something. There's doubts in their lives, and they're quaking because they're suffering. In the book of Acts, you have Stephen He's about to be stoned to death. And during his trial and his execution, is Stephen afraid? Is he quaking? No. Stephen, the book of Acts says that his face was like that of an angel. There was tremendous poise in his life, tremendous courage. Acts chapter 7, he looked to heaven. He saw the glory of God. He saw heaven open and the Son of Man seated. Evil from the outside looked like it was going to win. Life seemed completely out of whack, out of control. But Stephen, he saw the Son of Man seated, and it gave him courage. He knew the world is not out of control. He saw the Son of Man seated and ruling, in control, wise, and he knew he could trust that, and it made him completely fearless. He knew he had the ultimate advocate, the only advocate he would ever need. You see, if you look at Jesus as just a teacher in your life, as just a guidance in your life. If you look at Jesus as just a good person or a religious leader, it will never be able to give you courage in the midst of suffering because life, that means your life is still out of control. You have no answers for what will happen or what is happening. You will have no advocate in your life. And so as a result, you should be quaking. If you're not quaking, it doesn't make sense. But Stephen, he saw Jesus, the king, seated. It gave him courage. Second, There's intimacy. Jesus says, go and make disciples. The operative word is not go, by the way. You can't misunderstand that. It's like, let's go and eat. The the operative word there is not go. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded with you, everything I've commanded you, and I will be with you. Here, Jesus defines making disciples in two parts, two movements. The first is baptizing them. We call that salvation, conversion. Um, and, uh, and second is to teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. That's what we call sanctification. That's what we call maturity, growth in Jesus. And he says, when you're doing both of those things, I am present with you. When you're doing both of these, when the church is operating in a way where they're helping one group of people to mature in Christ and the other people to come to Christ, he says, there I am with you. I will be with you. That's the life of the church. That's the ministry of the gospel. We are all called here. If you are a Christian, if you say, I've been saved by grace alone, in Jesus alone, we are called to make disciples. But as you do that, as you're doing that, there is this experience of an intimacy, a deep, personal, unique intimacy with God. Why do we go through dry periods in our lives? Why do we feel stagnant spiritually in our lives? I go to church, I worship, I read the Bible, I serve, I listen to Christian music, I read Christian books, I have Christian dialogue, I even meet in Christian community. Ah, but you may not be intimately tied to the life of the church. The life of the church. What gives this church power, what gives any church, any gospel-preaching church power, is that you need to be shaped by these words. It's not about how you feel. It's not about what you do. It's about whether or not those experiences are shaping you towards a greater love for Jesus, a deeper and fuller repentance, a transformation in your life, new life, new power. The church is an intimate community, so intimate we're called a body. But true fellowship, true intimacy is always powered through the life of the church and its ministry. What that means is, your personal intimacy with God is tied together with, the intimacy, with your intimacy with the body through life-changing discipleship, growth and maturity in Christ, and conversion, union. And Jesus, then, is present in your ministry, present in your relationships, present in my preaching, present in your reading of the Word, present in our gathering. Intimacy. Because of that intimacy that we experience with Jesus. Thirdly, there's genuine community. Jesus says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That word surely, you, it's translated in different ways, in different versions of the Bible. Any type of version of the Bible, the old, new, King James, NIV, ESV, they all translate it differently. Whenever you see that, usually means that commentators are struggling to find the right word to explain what, it's, what he was really saying, what, what was really said in the Greek there. Essentially, what some, some translations will say low. Some translations will say behold. Some translations will say lo and behold. Essentially, what saying what Jesus is saying here is I want you to pay strict attention to this. It's a very strong word. Pay attention. I am with you all always. That's what he's saying. He's not just talking about you as an individual. The Western faith, the Western Version of Christianity has made Christianity such a personal thing that people have actually started leaving the church. And so they live very stagnant faith lives. Jesus says here, Pay attention. Behold, I am with you all, always, to the end of the world. Because I am risen, because I'm living, because I'm a person, organic, you will know me best in the context of a community. I am not a pen pal. I am not an operator at the end of a 911 hotline. You have a personal relationship with me, then you will get to know me best in the context of a community in which I am dwelling. The heart of the Great Commission is that Jesus is not just present with you personally. The heart of the Great Commission is that Jesus is present with you corporately. Think about that. It's when you are in genuine, deep community that you actually discover different things, different dimensions about who you are and different dimensions of the people around you, people you love. And the more intimate that you are with Jesus, the more intimate you become with one another. That's the importance, the necessity, the criticality of the church. We need a corporate relationship with God every bit as much as a personal relationship with God. So you got to get plugged into the church. you got to walk with others in consistent community, community with one another that's discipleship. It's partly what Vision Sunday is all about. It's a call for us to be corporately connected again. Community, deep, rich community. Now, lastly, Jesus promises victory. He says, I am with you. I died and rose, risen again, and now I am with you to the very end of the age, at the end of the world. For Christians, The end of this story is the beginning of new life. The end of this life is really the beginning of the ultimate narrative that we will be living. That puts, that ending puts the entire story, all of your sufferings into perspective. It's like watching a horror film. There's blood everywhere. There's guts everywhere. There's gore everywhere. But if you know the ending already... Everyone around you is scared. Everyone around you is holding, clutching on for dear life. Everyone around you is uncertain. But you can watch it all. You can endure it all. Because knowing the ending makes you resilient in suffering. And one day, we will all witness the unraveling of the ultimate story. The unraveling of the ultimate reversal. Where everything broken will be reversed and renewed. Beginning With our souls and our hearts. Evil will be swallowed up, and all that will be remaining is our joy with the glory and the holiness and the presence of God. An assurance of that can heal any bitterness. An assurance of that can heal any anger. An assurance of that can heal any hurt, any pain. An assurance of that can heal any loneliness. And assurance of that can heal any brokenness. If you believe in the resurrection, it will heal your heart because, first of all, it's true. It's true. That means there will be a peace. There will be a restoration. There will be a joy. And a joy that's not void of brokenness. It's going to be a joy that comes through brokenness to subsume all that brokenness, swallow it up in the joy that will remain. Victory. Now, If you don't believe that, what you're really really saying is that justice will not prevail, that evil will win. Then your heart will be angry. Then you will be at unrest. You will oscillate between fear and despair for the rest of your life. Remember Jesus who says to us, I'm with you all to the very end of the age. How do you know that? How can we trust that? Is because Jesus went to the end for us. In Gethsemane, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, Now my heart is troubled to the point of death. Now my heart is overwhelmed, my soul is overwhelmed, overcome to the point of death. In essence, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was reflecting on what would happen to his cross. Literally, the weight of the world is on the shoulders of Jesus. And what do you see? He's just falling apart, he's quaking. And on the cross, the wrath of God is just pouring out in full on him. God didn't spare one ounce of the wrath of God on Jesus. Pouring it out in full. And so the Son of God became disowned. Why? So that we could be owned. The Son of God who sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty today, the one who has all power to execute, was executed. Why? So that we could have life. The judge became judged so that we would have mercy. Are you experiencing any kind of darkness in your life? Jesus experienced the ultimate darkness. Are you experiencing any kind of quaking in your life? Jesus Christ experienced the ultimate quake. Literally as he was on the cross, there was an earthquake. And yet God remained silent, Jesus had no advocate when he was crying out, even though he was crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Really what he's saying is, I have no one to speak for me, no one to advocate for me. I've lost all intimacy with God and thus I am plunged in the depths of hell because hell is what? Complete separation from God. He's saying, you've abandoned me, you have forsaken me. I have no community and so I'm lost. I've lost. And yet it was through that loss that we experience the ultimate victory in Christ. Why? Because he then becomes our high priest. He becomes our lover. He becomes the head of our church. He becomes our champion. You never fear. You never fear. Jesus Christ is with us always to the very end of the age. That means you can go to Jesus because he's been through it all. He's seen you through every story and has experienced every part of that story with you. And that's the reason why Metro has the courage to do what it does today. Because the resurrection is true. Do you believe it? Let it shape you. Let it shape your life. Let's pray.